1: Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. I am so, so excited for you guys to hear my chat with Monica Palumbo this week. You guys know her. She's former Miss Sprint Cup. She is on the big screens at almost every track on the NASCAR circuit, it seems like entertaining fans as your in-race host and reporter she is such a ray of sunshine she has so much energy so much enthusiasm so much positivity so much talent and she's such a great gal so we chatted with her about her entire career how she got into nascar why she wanted to stay in nascar even before and after doing all these different things the woman hosted with regis regis who does that? She did it. She's been in movies. She's done so, so much, and she still continues to impress and do a whole lot. So I'm excited for you guys to hear that. Plus, we're going to chat a little bit about Phoenix and preview Hot Lana. But before we do any of that, guys, we got to pay homage to the number 4-0. You already know, it's the Silver Bullet and one Sterling Marlin. Papa Siegel, take it away.
0: Thank you, Dub, and welcome, everyone, to episode 140 a while back, we turned our spotlight on one of the legendary names and characters of NASCAR, Cuckoo Marlin. Today, we cast out our rod and reel and some memories of Cuckoo's son, Sterling. See what I did there, Dove? Rod? Reel? Marlin? No? Oh well. Tennessee's own Sterling Marlin was the 1983 NASCAR Rookie of the Year and had a productive 748 race cup career spanning 33 years. He had 274 starts in the 40 car, by far the most of any driver, and accounted for four of its wins. You remember that Coors Light-sponsored silver bullet, don't you? He won the Daytona 500 twice in back-to-back years, no less, in 1994 and 95, driving for Morgan McClure. That yellow Kodak car was wicked fast on super speedways back then. Which touched upon the interesting naming of the Marlin family during our tribute to Cuckoo. As if Cuckoo wasn't interesting enough, his son was named Sterling. Sterling's son is Stedman. Sterling's daughter is Sutherland. And his grandson is Sterlin. S-T-I-R-L-I-N. No G. Marlin's been retired since 2010, but you might still see him driving a late model at the Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway on occasion, where he splits time in it with his grandson. That's all for this week. Back to you, Duve.
1: Thank you, Dad. Yes, of course. It is Sterling Marlin, that Silver Bullet number 40 car for Chip Ganassi Racing. What a character! What a driver! What a guy! What a paint scheme! One of my favorites, one of the most iconic in all of motorsports. I love that. And I love that Wayback segment. So thank you, Papa Siegel. Thank you, Dad, for paying homage to the past while we live in the present and look forward to the future. Let's get this episode started as we always do Who they good old-fashioned reggaeton. And let's throw it straight over to interview time with Monica Palumbo. I have in my notes the OG Miss Sprint Cup. She's an in-race host, and as I mentioned off the top, one of the most engaging, positive, talented people I have ever met in my life, and I have ever worked with or seen do work in the NASCAR industry. She is just so, so incredible, so good at what she does, and I guarantee you, you guys will have a smile on your face for this entire chat because it's hard not to smile when you're hearing from Monica, seeing her work, and listening to her story. So I'll get out of the way and let you hear her story. Here is Monica Palumbo on Victory Lane. A real honor and a pleasure to welcome onto the show today, the OG. She is the former Miss Sprint Cup. She is a current in-race host. She is racing the roof. She is one of the most interesting women in motorsports. It is. Monica Palumbo, fresh off a red eye. Wow, wonder what what made you come here after your red eye. I don't know how much I'm paying you, but not enough.
2: (laughs) Round of applause. That was one heck of an introduction. Thank you. Made my day. That's
1: what I try to do, you know? When you're dealing with the red eye and you got mom duties, you got wife duties, you got professional duties, I do what I can to make you feel loved.
2: (laughs) Oh, thank you. I know. We got to juggle it all. Life is so hard, let me tell you.
1: Oh my God. We're going to get into all that because you do so much and I don't know how you balance it all. You are one of the most engaging, positive, talented, upbeat people that I think I've met in my short time working professionally in the sport. I mean it because I'm so thrilled to have you on. I mean, I've had countless guests on in the past and I've talked to a lot of people that you have worked with that I've had on the show Heather DeBo and Jesse Punch being two of them. Yes. And they have said the same things. So you have quite the, the moniker to live up to, Monica. No pressure.
2: Oh, thank you. I have to say, um, really, that's just the job that does it for me. I just love, I genuinely love being at the racetrack. I love talking with race fans, with people. I love what I do. Um, so I always have to remind myself and pinch myself and um you know just it it just makes me happy to do what i do hold on one second i do have a guy working in my house right now and i think he's waiting on me do you need me for anything craig are you good (laughs) i'm so sorry we so we just moved into a house last week and i'm still having house stuff done so he was just standing Uh here and looking like he needed i hope you know
1: i'm not editing (laughs) any of this out
2: okay great this is what happens with live tv craig did you need me for anything are you good you're out of here awesome (laughs) thank you so much you can come say hi
1: if you want craig
2: Look, and you can see my light over here. There's Craig over there. He's helping Beautiful. me um Hi put Craig. Some door stops in. He said tell Bill tell Elliott it he's it gotta it. put his light, put your locks on. He's a Bill, so he's an NASCAR fan. I think that's uh-huh. how I got him to help me um in my house. So he's been putting um putting my doorknobs in and my door stoppers in and it's never ending when you become a homeowner. So anyways, thank you, Craig. I appreciate it. Thank
1: you, Craig. Good sorry, to meet you, Craig. Sorry. No need to apologize. This is not even the worst. We've had dogs. We've had mother-in-laws. We've had so many interruptions on the show. And my favorite part is just not editing it out because this is real. It's
2: right. Well, this is real life. I mean, you know, this is what's happening here at my house. Yes. So Yes. Um, but anyways, right, no, I love what I do. I love the job. I love NASCAR. Um, and, and you know, it's really great to get away from my kids too. So I'm just happy to, to get out of the house and work. And I'm just a happy person, I guess.
1: Well, let's get into your backstory, your background, all the steps that you had to lead you to where you're at now, which is one of the most fun, engaging, energetic personalities that you see at the racetrack, you see on the big screens. East Carolina University. And then you got a Mm -hmm. BA in theater from Cal State at Northridge. You'll learn quick, Monica. I do my research.
2: I was like, wow, good for you.
1: Yeah. What made you want to get into acting and theater at that time? Was that something that you knew you wanted to do for a while leading up to college?
2: I did. I mean, ever since I was a little girl, I've loved putting on plays. And I always acted out in my house and played Dress up, and I've always just enjoyed being in front of the camera. I, I don't know; it just kind of came naturally to me. Uh, and so I was doing theater in college, and I got actually on a ABC show out in Cal- Los Angeles, in California. And so that's actually what drugged me out there to Los Angeles. So I finished up out because I had to get a degree out of Cal State Northridge, Cal State Northridge in theater, um, while I was doing a TV show on ABC. And I lived in Los Angeles for like four years, which I know in the grand scheme of things really isn't that long. Cause a lot of people spend 10 plus years trying to get into the industry. Um, but after four years, I kind of had enough of California and the price of living and I'm born and raised in Charlotte. I'm such a Southern girl. And I miss my sweet tea and my Bojangles and my parents and family, so. I came home and started emceeing events in NASCAR. And that's how it all started.
1: So when you were a little girl growing up, would you watch movies and TV shows or or skits or something? And you wanted to be that person? Like, was this something that you had from a very early age? Was there any parental influence? Or was it just something that you gravitated towards?
2: It's something I gravitated towards. My family is not in the entertainment industry. They're actually not even like theater geeks. But I just, from an early age, really enjoyed it. Just, you know, even watching like Shirley Temple shows and and trying to be like her. And, um, yeah, I just mimicked different shows and different characters uh, on TV. And, you know, I just uh, have always liked that. I never knew if I was good or not, but I started plays early on. And I feel like, you know, back in the day, my dad had that big old like VHS camera, you know? Oh, so yeah. I could, oh, yeah. And re-watch and try to work from uh, my mistakes, because that's really how you learn. you got to watch yourself, which is the hardest part, as you know, being on air is even just hearing my voice back or mm-hmm. hearing things I've done back and I you know, I criticize myself so bad.
1: When did you get used to hearing your own voice or seeing yourself on screen? I feel like I'm still getting used to it
2: i I haven't. and I've been doing it so i have I've been doing this for I'm gonna age myself now, but like twenty years and I still, even at the track, if there's something recorded that comes on, I'm like, Oh, I can't listen. I can't listen. <laughs> Monica, like I've, I've even taken a voice class where I've, you know, you learn to talk in your diaphragm and more like a reporter. But when I get excited, my, the tonality of my voice rises and I'm like, Oh, there she goes. She's high pitched again. She's high pitched again. <laughs> like, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still criticizing myself today.
1: Yeah. Well, join the club. I feel like it's, it's a known thing. Like anybody that gets into the business when they first start and apparently when they're still doing it for a couple of decades, they still cringe a little bit, even if they know that they did a good job and they know right. that they're secure like you, you still hear yourself or see yourself, your own harshest critic. And you say, yeah. Oh God, is that really me? Can we not, can we stop? Oh please?
2: I think it's just the humility in us. You know, if we were, you know, overly confident and so secure in ourselves, we wouldn't have an issue, but it's that, it's yeah. that humility, which I think is very important to have,
1: too. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, you mentioned, you know, the acting portion of your early career. You didn't know if you were any good at it and you moved back to North Carolina. But before you moved back east, you were good enough, Monica, to be in a couple of motion pictures. According to IMDb, we had Shallow Hal with Gwyneth Paltrow and Jack Black. Yeah. Hello. That's a hell of a cast. How is it working with them?
2: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was awesome. They were such laid back people. It's so funny because even living in Los Angeles, you see all these kind of D rated stars and they're so confident, but then you get to work with these A listers and they're the most humble down to earth really people ever. Oh yeah. No, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Um, so no, that was good. Probably the biggest thing I've ever done in my career is fill in for Kelly Ripa. On the morning oh, yeah. show, live with Justin Kelly. I got it. Um, that was like a dream come true, and that was that was a major highlight for me.
1: Yeah, that's my next bullet point. But don't worry, we're not done with the movies yet. I know you also had Undercover Kids, All American Girl. That was like a TV show, right? I did my research, Monica. What do you want? Come on.
2: Um. Yeah, that's what got me out to Los Angeles was this right. show, and it was done by the producers of American Idol. So it was supposed to be this big this big show, but, um, it was a flop. I just have to admit it. It was a flop, but the experience of it all. And it got me out to California and live a whole different experience for four years. So it was totally, it's totally worth it. And that's with everybody's career. We do great things. We do flops. I mean, that's just, it's a learning process.
1: Yeah, it just happens. And I think you can correct me if I'm wrong in terms of the timeline before you filled in for Kelly with Regis, was did you win miss north carolina and miss congeniality was that an 01 before regis
2: you're good yes so I can't,
1: i'm good monica come you're
2: on you are really you are really good yes that was before or during i can't remember but it was an 01 in that area yes so i was not a pageant girl but like i said i always wanted to be in the entertainment industry to some in some capacity if it was acting or hosting uh, i just love and enjoy being in front of a camera and so, being from North Carolina, my parents had no clue on. So, what do you do? How do you get a job in this industry? So, I was researching, yeah. and I had noticed people like Halle Berry and other actors. They got started through pageantry, because really, pageantry. I mean, you're acting, you're on stage, and you're acting and talking and doing your way. It is
1: pageantry.
2: It's pageantry. And so, um, it was the first time I've ed- ever entered the pageant, and I think I. And I don't know how I won, to be honest. I uh, I had super short hair. I was really different, uh, very off the cuff, not too polished. So I was kind of surprised that I that I won. And then that that act that year was fantastic. It helped me with a lot of training in front of the camera. Um, it was it let me get in front of uh, producers and do some auditions and stuff like that. So it was really really cool.
1: Were, were pageants back then similar to what they're like now, at least for what we see on the outside, where it's not more just, oh, she's gorgeous, she wins. It's it, you got to be able to speak. You need to have good coherence, Clearly. like all these different things that go into pageantry. And I'm, I'm the first to admit, I don't know jack squat about them, but I know that it's yeah. just more than meets the eye for most people, you know?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would study up on all current events. I had to know everything about politics, know what's going on in the world. Um, which I enjoy and I like to know regardless. But yes, it is way, way more involved than people think. Just this cute girl walking across the stage with the killer tan. Yeah. I mean, so... <laughs> and a lot of these girls end up being E! Entertainment hosts or extra correspondents, um, movie stars... Uh, so.
1: Miss Sprint Cups.
2: <laughs> hey, Miss Sprint Cups. Yeah, <laughs> so... Yeah, that's where my career ended, I? and I have I loved it.
1: And also besides just winning Miss North Carolina, you also happened to win Miss Congeniality. Never would have seen that coming. It's not like you're charismatic or personable or anything. And that actually led you to be on a tour or a promotion of sorts with Sandra Bullock and the Warner Brothers. So you just got A-listers all over, Monica. You've
2: really done your homework. Yes. So what's so funny is Sandra Bullock's character in that movie is pretty much like me in real life as far as, her personality um, in that movie, so they did, we went on tour together to promote the movie Miss Congeniality, so they um, paralleled our lives, how me in real life is really like her character in that movie. So that
1: movie's based on you?
2: Yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> no, they <laughs> knew that I am just like the character, I'm clumsy, I'm not this polished. I think
1: it's based on you.
2: Hey, we'll take it, we'll take it. Okay. So, So yeah, that was a cool experience. And she's the East Carolina girl too. So that's how it all started.
1: Yes. You guys probably bonded over your, your love of pirates.
2: Exactly. Yeah, we did. She's amazing.
1: So Gwyneth Paltrow, Jack Black, Sandra Bullock, these are three, I mean, big time Hollywood movie stars. Was Sandra just like Jack and Gwyneth when, you know, they're really down to earth, even though they're these huge deals, they still treat you guys like human beings and not like the media portrays sometimes.
2: Oh gosh, absolutely! I mean, hands down, the most genuine person, welcoming. It, she's fantastic. Not, I don't have enough compliments to give her.
1: For all those three, do you still talk to them at all, or was that just so far in the past? No,
2: that was just you know a work thing. Yeah, um, and back yeah, then, yeah. because back then, which I'm aging myself again too, is social media wasn't around. So, right. you know, back then, they would just hand out your card, or you would go through an agent or manager for that connection. Whereas now we would just follow each other on social media and keep in contact, but that wasn't there yeah. back then. So things are just a little bit different in that aspect.
1: So getting to Regis now, because that's a big freaking deal. Did the the Sandra Bullock and the Miss North Carolina, did the pageantry, pun intended, that came with that time period for you helped spearhead and lead into that opportunity to co-host?
2: Maybe so. Maybe the the pageantry part just as far as um learning how to be in front of a camera and 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 speaking. But that is not how I got my foot in the door there. They actually had an open casting call because um Kelly Rippa was leaving for a maternal leave and they allowed, they just opened the doors to everybody. And so I sent in um a tape VHS tape because it was 2001 you
1: keep aging yourself I
2: know I know so (laughs) yeah my we were in my parents house in Charlotte and I was in the backyard and my dad said come on let's just send in one and I was I was like there's no way I'm gonna get this thing and so I just I sent it and I gave it to my dad to mail off and went to college not thinking twice about it and got a phone call like hey you're one of the finalists to to fill in Wow. And um they announced it live on like local news in Charlotte, North Carolina, that I that I oh, had wow. gotten the Friday morning show. Um and so I flew up there and I got to sit in on the Wednesday and Thursday shows just to see how they did it. And then I filled in that on a Friday morning. So
1: I need people to understand. This and I'll I'll bleep myself out, so excuse my French. This
2: is f- Regis
1: Philbin. <laughs> like This is one of the legends of the game. My grandparents, they live in Connecticut. They watch Regis growing up. My mom loves him, right? I mean, Regis was and is still like a huge, huge deal. Were you starstruck at all? Or were you just going in there like, this is a big opportunity. I got to get my stuff done and do it right.
2: Really, really both. I knew it was a big deal. Um, I wanted to be mentally prepared, but I didn't want to be overly prepared. Because sometimes, as you might too, if you're overly prepared, you can kind of psych yourself out. Um, mm-hmm. So I wanted to go in also as naturally and as comfortable as possible. So they actually didn't even let me meet Regis because they wanted everything to be spontaneous oh. and off the cuff and as natural as possible. So literally, um, we got ready in separate rooms. I got ready in Kelly's room. Like I got my hair and makeup done by her person. And um 10 seconds before we go live on national TV, they walk us out. He grabs my hand, says, nice to meet you, Monica. He doesn't say another word. Um, and the producers told us this. They said, don't talk. You're going to talk when you're live. He grabs my hand. You hear him count down 10, 9, and then introducing live with Regis and Monica. And it was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Here I am! Oh, gosh. Okay, Monica, get it together. Breathe and let's go. Yeah. So it was oh awesome. Oh, God.
1: I cannot even imagine. Was it more nerves, excitement, a mix of the two?
2: Yeah, it was definitely a mix of the two. The the funny thing is is, you know, flying up there and not having any have done anything that big in my career. It's like, "Holy moly, I'm this is this is wild what I'm about to do." But really the moment he grabbed my hand and we walked out, I was so excited and just ready. I was just ready for that hour. It wasn't—I wasn't shaking. My nerves didn't get a hold of me. I was just ready to do it. And how'd so, you do? I think I did okay. They said we got the highest ratings for that week, and I went back hey! again. Yeah, they invited me back again. Um, that was in June, I think. I, we did it, and I went back in August and did another little segment with them. So,
1: wow, it was cool. That is yeah, awesome, it was so man. fun. That's got to be like top five professional moments for you, right?
2: For sure. Absolutely. If not the yeah. top. Yeah.
1: Did you ever talk to Kelly about it?
2: Yeah. So she was fantastic. She sent me a little goodie bag from home because, you know, she was at home oh. with her newborn. And then we, her and I actually kept in contact uh, through her manager. And then she invited me back up on the show to be on there with her and Regis again in oh. um, a few months later got to meet her and her husband and yeah she's she's great she even got me an audition with all my children because she was on that show for so long so mm-hmm. she hooked me up with that so i didn't get it but hey i got an audition which is great hey
1: that's good enough yeah. my mom's obsessed with soap operas and she still watches all my children so i'm <laughs> sure she's getting a kick out of this
2: <laughs> Yeah, that was just it was a cool experience to even audition for it so
1: yeah very cool All right, let's transition to NASCAR for now, because I know a lot of people listening to this. They obviously know you from your time in NASCAR, specifically with the Miss Sprint Cup program. Right. How did that program come about and how were you chosen to kind of be the OG, as they say? And you were with that program for a handful of years, and that's really where you made your inroads in the sport.
2: Absolutely. So I actually started back then in the Bush series in 07, um, doing okay. mobile marketing, like out in the Midway where fans are walking around the fan display, as you want to say. Um, I was on the microphone at one of Bobby Labonte's, um mobile marketing displays. And let me preface this being born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina, I have been surrounded by NASCAR my entire life. So, yes, I'm a fan. I've always kept up with the sport. My grandfather liked Junior Johnson. Um, so anyway, so I started doing that and I had heard that they were starting this Miss Sprint Cup program that kind of tailed the, 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 Winston Cup ladies, which traditionally was like a trophy girl. But I said, I well, you know, I really don't want to be a trophy girl. You know, I'm not, I don't want to, you know, I want to be more so media involved. I don't want to yeah. feel like I'm going in to try to find my husband kind of thing. And so they said, no, this, this program is gonna be completely different. We're changing the face completely. Uh, we want you to do radio shows, interview drivers, media with local news to promote the races, talk with race fans. And I said, okay, I, I would love to get on board with this. So I went in for an interview uh, and I said, just make sure you don't have, you know, this is no pageantry, right? This is just because you hear the word <laughs> miss in front, you think, pad right. something is involved but it, it has a
1: connotation with
2: it yeah it does yeah but it was just a strict interview process and uh, i started in oh eight, so i did it for four years it was it was one of the also the best jobs i've ever had
1: so you mentioned you had a ton of different roles in that specific role at track mc social media Uh, You were doing that kind of at the boom of the social media age with Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and everything. TV hits, radio hits. You were a brand ambassador for Sprint. Uh, You were a liaison between the company itself, the series itself, and the fan base and the drivers. I mean, there were so many different roles that you held as Miss Sprint Cup. How did you balance all those different things? Was the learning curve steep with some of the things? And when did you really feel solidified in your role and saying, I know this is a lot of stuff to handle, but I feel like I got a good grasp on it and I can do all this stuff well.
2: Yeah, and you nailed everything on the head. I mean, that's exactly what the program was. We did everything. The first year was definitely a learning curve, even just trying to teach the race fans what we are and what we represent and what we're about. Because, you know, NASCAR is embedded on tradition, and so just to kind of change that face you know we wore fire suits we did media we did not kiss the winning driver in victory lane (laughs) they could not kiss us you know we had to change everything really about it um and this was a time too where you know they kind of just threw us out there now um they ended up having handlers and people to kind of help them around the track but we would drive ourselves to the track, park in public parking, walk ourselves in. You know, it was a, uh, you know, we we had to learn from scratch. And um, like you said, this was the start of social media. So Instagram wasn't even in the picture then. This was when Twitter was coming about and Facebook. Yep. And I will never forget handing out these business cards out at what was called the Sprint Experience. It was like five me on, on twitter i
1: have frequented the sprint experience oh many a time yeah.
2: and so people are like what is twitter so we had to you know of course we were promoting phones too so we said okay get on your phone download this app follow miss sprint cup so it was the birth of social media and um that is, is a great tool with communicating with race fans it mm-hmm. was through social media so um those those are mainly the challenges especially that first year and then i feel like we got our footing And things kind
1: of rolled. Yeah, I remember Tweets of the Week was a segment, I think, on Race Hub. Uh, I remember it because I was featured on that segment as like a 12, 13-year-old Kevin Harvick fan many times. I actually look back. I found the old pictures that I posted on my Facebook. They were never with you reading the tweet, though, which I was upset about because I was like, that would have been great to bring up. (laughs) But I've been on that a couple times. Like, I got featured with that. I remember I won a giveaway For Miss Sprint Cup I won like a huge chase grid autograph by all the drivers when I was like 15 or something like that so I remember all this stuff because it's kind of cliche to say and not to age you more but you guys as Miss Sprint Cups were like what I remember in, in terms of the midway experience and the activation from the sponsor perspective When I was growing up going to races, like I remember going in the midway, going to the speed stage race day happening and seeing you and all the other Miss Sprint Cups walking around the garage in the midway and handing out koozies and teaching us about Twitter and all these things. So not to make you feel weird or anything, but I, I don't think I'm the only one to say that like you were one of the main factors in experiencing racing. As a kid, like growing up, going to races, seeing people like you in the fire suits, it was something different, something that people didn't expect to see in the midways. And that became a real staple for you for four years. It's and big.
2: Just, um, that melts my heart. That's, and that's exactly what we wanted. We wanted to be that liaison between the drivers and the fans to get them as close to the sport as possible, make mm-hmm. them feel welcome, um, you know, talk to them about NASCAR. You know, I, I can't tell you also how many people just I've met through the years that, I've learned their life stories. I mean, because we were just so accessible, you know, and and to be able to hang out with the race fans and just talk and hang out. And um, it, it was just such an amazing job. And kind of what I'm doing now, too, is, yes. <laughs> is similar to that job.
1: Yeah. I, I was going to get to it later, but I think this is a good segue to do that. You have reinvented yourself in a way that I don't think anybody could really do. It's reinventing yourself in a way, but also, as you mentioned, it's very similar in the role that you do now. You're an at-track entertainer, an in-host, an in-race host and reporter. You know, you interview drivers, you interview fans, you keep them entertained at the racetrack, which is not totally dissimilar to what you did for those four years at Miss Sprint Cup. So, in a way, it's different. The times have changed, and now Twitter is a fabric of society. Before, it was kind of a booming thing, but in a lot of ways it's the same type of role. And that is entertaining and bringing content to the fans. Don't you think?
2: Absolutely. Other than just, I'm not a brand ambassador. So, you know, I don't have sprint talking points and I'm not generally in, in victory lane interviewing the driver uh, after he wins or whatever. But uh, at some tracks I do, but um, it's, it's very, very similar, very similar, which I love. I, I genuinely just love it and love being out there with the fans.
1: Uh all this research I did I found these old ass YouTube videos of you being interviewed for like oh, Fox Sports, Miss sprint Cup, random like reporters here and there. So your first time in Victory Lane was that Bristol? I guess it would have been 2008.
2: Yeah, I think so. I believe so. I I'm can't think remember one. Um I want to say I'm sure Kyle Busch did cuz I feel Yeah, like probably. <laughs> so great there.
1: So do you remember your first victory lane? Cause that's where a lot of people see you after the race in the back of the camera.
2: Yes. Yes. Um, yes, I believe it was, it was victory lane. There have been so many that a lot of times the.
1: <laughs> you went to all was, of them for four it years. Like
2: kind of, all kind of blends together. There are definitely yeah. memorable ones for sure. But you know, Bristol, the victory lane is so tiny and it's so compact. Um, yeah. and what was so funny is, you know, our main job was to get the word sprint that's on our fire suit in the camera shot. So we're awkwardly, you know, trying to scoot over and the, the driver's yeah. interview, but you don't want to be distracting and take away from the driver's moment. He just want to freaking race, you know, so I don't want to Here I am, but what fans didn't understand as well as, is, is, is that was our job was to congratulate the driver, make sure the branding was there because it was the sprint cup series. So, yes. Yes. um, But yeah, it was, it's awesome. The energy in Victory Lane is amazing. You know, they're, we got champagne and Gatorade and, and, you know, pyro going off and confetti (laughs) and drivers crying. They're so excited. So it's, it's, it's such a cool experience.
1: Any memorable ones over the years stick out? You've, you've been there with Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Bush, Jeff Gordon, Dale Jr., Tony Stewart. I mean, any major name the, in the last decade or so the, in the sport, I, you have been there with them at the highest of highs.
2: I feel like uh, Jeff Gordon, when he finally won in Texas, I don't know if that was 2011 or I can't remember if it was 2010 or, or 2011. I'll have to, to check that stat. But I remember he had, he had never won in Texas, and I think that was the one he was trying to cross off his mm-hmm. list. And I will never forget during driver intros, we had to stand up there and we were telling all the drivers, good luck. And I looked at him and I said, today's your day. He said, well, I hope so. And then he won the freaking race. You called it. And so we're in victory lane. He's like, you need to tell me that every race. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was such a cool experience, uh, to be with him in victory lane in Texas. And of course, Trevor Bain, when he won the Daytona Five Hundred. Yep. Um, there, there's just been so many cool ones. Tony Stewart, when he won his championship 2011, I mean, it's, it's, they're, they're all really cool.
1: Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, miss sprint cup, you guys wore fire suits at the racetrack, whether it was 20 degrees or 120 degrees. Yeah. I'm sure you gained a little bit more appreciation for the drivers behind the wheel on those hot summer days wearing fire suits because you guys were probably just as hot as they were.
2: Well, and the thing is, and I, and I always look back and ask my bosses now, why did we wear a real fire suit? Why? Why was it real? <laughs> Couldn't it have just been some sort of costume of some. some right. Sport? Come on. It was lined. I mean, we were in a legit. You're
1: going for fire. comfort, not safety. Yeah,
2: right. Exactly. Hopefully, I'm not get, catching on fire somewhere.
0: Right. Um, right.
2: But, no, I definitely have a, an appreciation for them. And there were so many times during the summer months, too, where race fans, hey, can I get a picture? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm really sweaty right now. You can totally, we can totally hug, <laughs> And you can totally put your arm around me. You, but you're going to get some oh Sprint Cup sweat on you right now. <laughs> but, yes, I feel for those drivers, man. I mean, it gets so hot in there. I mean, I'm glad they have a cooling system in the chest part. But still, I don't know how they do it.
1: Yeah. From an activation standpoint, right? Cause like you said, I mean, this was being there for the brand and not just a brand. It was the brand. This was the sprint cup series, you know, similar to the monster girls in a way, because when it was a monster energy cup series, you know, you saw the monster girls everywhere because they were the entitlement sponsor of the whole series. It's a huge financial logistical yeah. investment, whatever way you want to spin it. Did you feel like a burden or a responsibility To do your job well for sprint as miss sprint cup considering that you were literally representing the series on national tv every single weekend
2: oh absolutely i mean you know you want to represent the the brand well you want to represent nascar well you want to represent yourself well so yes there was that added well personal pressure that i put on myself you know i want to make sure everybody is proud everybody is happy i'm doing my job right i'm giving them what they've asked for so yeah, I definitely think there was that that added pressure to make sure I dot all the i's for sure and cross all the t's. I feel like too.
1: sprint. I feel like sprint did a lot in terms of activation, and you know it, it's tough to compare eras because you know there's different upturns and downturns in the economy and and popular sports okay. now and then whatever. But I feel like, and again, this is probably partial because I grew up going to races in the sprint era, and that's kind of where my passion for the sport form and then more professionally. But over the years, you've seen the Winston era, you've seen the sprint era and been a part of it. And now you're part of uh, the cup series era with the major entitlement sponsors. How much activation did they really do comparing to the iteration before and after? Because from my perspective, it feels like they did as much as anybody.
2: I, I totally agree. And we actually just talked about this this past weekend in Phoenix, but back in the, the sprint cup era, And even a little bit before then when NASCAR was really booming in the late nineties and Mm -hmm. early 2000, the midway was like a carnival. I mean, there was stuff, activation everywhere and so much free stuff. I mean, you could go carry a swag bag and go from each little section and get tons of stuff, but, but sprint in particular, they kept it rolling. I mean, we had driver appearances constantly and, and every single day just not not just on cup day so the fans had open access to drivers um, driver autograph sessions and just the stuff we gave away we gave away phones and hats and lanyards and things that are autographed and um they had racing simulators there so it's even like you know one-on-one interaction the race fans could do to get involved a dj there was just constantly, it was just constant movement movement in the sprint experience. Um, and of course, during the pandemic, we saw a little downtick on that. But I will say this, this is why we were talking about this past weekend in Phoenix. is We're seeing an uptick out in the midway and in the fan zone now. It's coming back yeah. around. They had a trackside live stage out there. Um, tons of driver appearances. I saw more swag bags than I have in a long time. So... Um, The fan experience is definitely on the upswing.
1: So you mentioned, you know, when you were a part of the Miss Sprint Cup program, you still at that point even had aspirations of being an on-air talent, reporter, host, something like that in the form of entertainment. And you got the chance to interview drivers, cultivate these relationships with them, industry stakeholders, and people saw you every single week at one of the biggest moments of the race in Victory Lane and even before so on the grid. So you were on TV. You were in person almost every single week, if not every single week, right? Cultivating those relationships with all the industry members and stakeholders, can you all understate or overstate how valuable that was? Because now, especially, and after you left that program, it seems to have been what's helped you get to this point.
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, and I think I am just, um, I'm born a, a people person. I genuinely do enjoy talking to people, really getting to know people. Um, And and networking is huge in our sport. Also working hard and proving yourself too, right? Knowledge is power. I really had to learn and dive into NASCAR. And I will say, you know, once I went to my first race, and this was years before I even got working in NASCAR, you genuinely find a love for NASCAR. Um, Mm -hmm. And not only just, yeah, being on TV is is great, um, but just being involved in the sport to some capacity, I'll take. I just love being in that environment. I love the people that work in the sport. Um, But going back to, yeah, I mean, you just have to network. You have to really prove yourself as well to Mm -hmm. to pave that way. It's not, things as you know, don't happen overnight in NASCAR. I can't just say, hey, I really like the sport. I would like to be a correspondent. Can I get that Wish it was that easy. Yeah, can I, do you have a job open for me? It it just doesn't work that way.
1: Yeah. Speaking of like paving the way, were you the first Miss Sprint Cup like officially? Were you, you were the first, right?
2: Yeah, it was Anne Marie Rhodes and I. We were the first, um okay. the first two that that first year.
1: Okay, that's what I thought. So, you know, you've worked with countless other women in that role over the years. I remember a couple distinctively, obviously Kim Coon, who's still in the sport. And I think her career is kind of paralleled yours in the sense that you guys were in the Miss Sprint Cup program and you guys pivoted and reinvented yourself to stay in the sport in an on-air reporting hosting role. So that's really cool. But the other woman that I remember, um, I think her name was Madison. Uh, I think she had red hair and she was from Maryland. I'm from Maryland. And that's why I remember because when I was a teenager, I was like, oh, I got to meet Madison. I got to talk to her about Maryland. I don't know why, but... (laughs)
2: Yeah, I never got to work with her directly, but all of us that were in that program have met and have hung out um, oh, yeah. to some degree, and she's, she's yeah, yeah. fantastic.
1: So you mentioned you're a part of the program for four years. I think 2012 was the last season that you were a part of it. How and why did that chapter for you end, and were you okay with it at that time?
2: Yeah, so it was... Um, well, I had done it for four years and I was kind of ready for something else. And I had been doing some NASCAR race hub segments with Steve mm-hmm. Burns then um, and Danielle Trotta. And then um, I had started also on the side doing morning radio on the side with the ACTV yep. show in Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, they ended up offering me a full gig and and it was really fun. It was just something different. It was Uh, Monday through Friday yes I had to get up at 3 30 in the morning oh but uh yeah um and I was still able um to kind of slowly get in with speed or I can't remember if it was Fox Sports at that time when it turned over it
1: was around the transition time yeah
2: Yeah. and so I was hoping things would also take off with Fox so I kind of thought okay this if I'm getting some other opportunities this might be a good good time so there was it, that was a hard leave. That was really hard. Cause that was such a fantastic job. Um, being involved in the sport to that degree. So it, it was it's scary, right? I mean, and doing something new is scary. You don't know really what's going to happen. Um, but I took the leap and I did morning radio and still worked for Fox Sports one. I think I was there. Social media, uh, beat reporter mm-hmm. at that point and got to travel yep. around with them. Um, and so that's how things kind of moving I started doing screen stuff. And that's how the snowball moved.
1: Yeah. You're really good at leading me into my next points. Cause my <laughs> next bullet point was about the ACE and TJ show oh, yeah. in 2012. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not in the Charlotte area. One day I will be, I'm sure. Yeah. But, um, I assume that that is like the morning radio show that has been around. It's kind of like an institution. At this point now, and that was something that was a really big opportunity for you, because not that you hadn't been in front of a lot of people and been on a big platform before because you were you were on national TV and NASCAR races, for goodness sake, every week. But this is a little bit different and it was a little bit more focused locally to where you were so that at that time, that opportunity was worth taking that leap of faith and it seems like it's all paid off
2: well it was just something different and they were nationally or are nationally syndicated so Mm -hmm. um and it was a top it is a top 40 station so i had to immediately brush up on my pop culture and (laughs) you know entertainment of what's happening with celebrities and and actually watch all these reality shows and talk about them the next day and of course you know i always threw a nascar because that's where my heart was Got know, to. And morning radio on a top 40 station. Um, but, you know, morning radio is hard. You have to get up at three in the morning, um, you know, so I hope my battery doesn't die on me here. It just it just popped up. Um, but but that was a hard transition going from NASCAR, NASCAR, NASCAR to pop culture and to have to change my, my brain. But the good thing is I was able to keep up some segments on race hub. And we'll yeah. keep my foot in the door with NASCAR because my, my heart really is with NASCAR.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask. So even though you take this leap of faith, right? Not necessarily completely out of NASCAR, but you go from basically being on the road with the, with the, t- with the crews and the teams for all 36 races to taking a little bit of a step back, staying local, staying in the sport, doing your work with Fox sports, but not necessarily being a figurehead as a miss sprint cup or at the racetrack every week. Was that a hard adjustment for you or since yeah. you had the oh, Fox sports and speed like... stuff were you, were you able to adjust a little bit easier?
2: Yeah, it, it was. I mean, good thing. I was able to work the Daytona 500 that year. So it wasn't like, whoa that, you know, I was always thinking if I didn't make, it, if I didn't work the Daytona 500, ah. but you know, yeah. being a woman too, that was the year I got married, you know, you know, we, we also have personal lives too that you try to show attention to and try mm-hmm. to balance everything. So I was also trying to balance my personal life and get married and, and make that work. It's hard being gone every weekend. And my then fiance, yeah. we're getting married, but when am I ever gonna see you? Um, but I have finally, thank goodness, found a great balance with doing the screen schedule, being home, now I have two children. Um, so I'm able to find that work life balance.
1: Yeah. So let's go to the Fox sports one and the speed days for a little bit. Fast lane for fun was a show that I think you did. And it was basically kind of a show before social media was mainstream. I mean, we talked about you and kind of the introduction of it and stuff, but before it was mainstream, You basically did a show with drivers, like showing them their like prior lives and everything like that. Also, if you're getting up to move your computer to plug it in, I've done the same thing. (laughs) I've done the same thing, like during a live show and people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's fine. Nothing, nothing's wrong.
2: Sorry, guys. I got to find my (laughs) my laptop uh, charger. (laughs) (laughs)
1: And you got the (laughs) ring light in one hand, too. This is impressive.
2: look look at that. This is what happens when you have children. You know how to, uh, you have eight arms like an octopus.
1: This is behind the scenes with Monica Palumbo. Wow, this is this is good stuff.
2: Yeah. Hey, sorry, I'm grabbing, I'm grabbing my charger, but I hear you. Right. Keep talking. Oh.
1: Okay. Yes, ma'am. So I was saying, fast Lane for fun, like you basically did that show, and it was like a behind the scenes, drivers away from the track type atmosphere yeah. before they were able to freely share that stuff on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, whatever, and there was podcasts and radio shows, TV shows, whatever devoted to it so again a, a trailblazer in that respect you took fans behind the scenes as you were taking us right now plugging in your computer in your basement um and i think that was a really cool thing i i vaguely remember it because that was kind of at like the start of when i started watching all the programming that i yeah. possibly could but where did that idea spear for you like why do that show
2: well you know back before um dale jr had his production company they had hammerhead which he speared right. and um one of the guys came up with this idea of going behind the scenes with drivers like a lifestyle shoot like so i think i did like golfing with uh trevor bain and ricky stenhouse and i did uh, clay shooting with richard childress and i did uh, some drag racing uh with kurt bush all these cool things um with these drivers off the track to just talk about what they like to do away from the track. We talk so much about them being on the track and they get interviewed so many times at the track that Mm -hmm. the Hammerhead decided to do a show that talks about, well, what do they like to do on their, you know, of course they're one day off if they have a day off during the week. And so that's how it came about. And, and um, yeah, so that's how that one happened.
1: Going back to the extensive research, that I did. And one of these videos that I found on YouTube, um, I watched a video. It was like a behind the scenes, Miss Spring Cup, get to know Monica Palumbo. And at the end of the video, you said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you said the words, you know, after this I want to be Miss Spring Cup forever, but if that can't happen, I hope to be an on-air personality and stay in the sport and keep bringing fans really cool and engaging content. You said that 10, 12 years ago. So I'm going to ask you to brag on yourself for a minute. how proud of you are yourself for being able to reinvent yourself and stay doing what you wanted to do and what you do well all these years later over a decade.
2: Well, thank you. you know, I think I owe a lot of it to the fans too, because you know, not only do the fans keep the sport alive, but they also keep us that work in the sport alive. Right. So if I, Mm -hmm. if I am not genuinely keeping my relationships open with these race fans, I don't think I would be here, you know, and of course, just knowing about the sport and and learning and and genuinely wanting to be there. But no, it is it is exciting that I'm still around. I'm still able to be at the track and to do some some on air, some screen on screen stuff. So it truly is. You know, I hate everyone's like, I'm you know it's such a blessing. But I really do. I mean, I do feel blessed to still be yeah. around.
1: So we've talked for, I don't know, 45 minutes at this point, and we haven't even talked about the current work that you do. We, we've beaten around the bush, but in the case you're living under a rock, Monica is the gal. On the big screens at all the ISC tracks, or most of them at least, I yeah, think you some, do some, some work Some at Charlotte
2: tracks. Some, uh, some
1: right, Charlotte Motor Speedway as well. I know that yeah. you do some stuff there. Some other SMI tracks as well. I'll
2: be at um, this year too, so that's
1: good. Sweet, sweet. As will I. I'll see you there.
2: Yeah.
1: How did how did those specific opportunities to host on on the big screens come about? Because that kind of happened after the Miss Sprint Cup stuff, and maybe during or kind of towards the end of the Fox Sports Speed yeah. stuff.
2: Yeah. So um, I was able to fill in for their current host when I was Miss Britain Cup. I think he, had, he was out. He was sick or something happened, and I was there that weekend. <laughs> Monica, we need someone on screen. Can you do this job? <laughs> yeah, let's try it out. So I was able to fill in, and that kind of got my foot in the door or my feet wet, so to speak, of that role. And, man, is it fun. You know, I talked earlier about I love theater, and I just like being live. I, you know, grew up learning mistakes are key, you know, people like normal human beings. So live TV is so much fun. And so doing, um, and the people are like, what are the screens? The big jumbotron at the track. Um, so anyway, so I was able to do that a handful of times. And then I believe I reached out to someone, Hey, if you need someone to do screens, I would love to do it. Uh, which is hard for me to put myself out there. So, um, I reached yeah. out and I was able to, uh, get involved with it.
1: We talked about the relationship aspect that you had when you were Miss Sprint Cup and cultivating those and going up to drivers and having those relationships with them. How vital is that to your job now where you're on headset, you're live on the screen and you have to butt in for conversations or, after TV or radio is done and you're on the air and they're in the middle of a sponsor conversation or talking to their crew chief, you got to get in there because you got a producer in your ear telling you that you have to, and you are live on air at that point. But my point is they know who you are. They have seen your face for over 10 years now at this point, and they know that they can trust you. You are somebody that is in your corner, not out to get them and not trying to be that guy and interrupt them. How vital is that? to your job now because it feels like that's everything in this business.
2: It, re- it really is. It's just that mutual mutual respect, you know, and I will say, and um, people are probably wondering what he's talking about, it's, it's, we call it the grid walk. So right mm-hmm. before the drivers get behind the wheel, I have, sometimes it's 10 minutes, sometimes it's 15 minutes. Um, of course I do reporting all day long, but this main chunk of what I do is the grid walk and I have to find drivers to talk to um before they get in their car which is crazy because this is their time also to get their mind right to talk to their crew chief to do all their sponsor obligations pictures like you said talk to their sponsorship um so i have to be respectful to them so if i see someone who is in a serious conversation with their crew chief i will not butt in i might start my report talking about them and if body language is everything if I see them looking at me, I know I'm welcome to come in. Or if their PR person says, okay, you can go in now. But here's the crazy thing. I'm literally talking live. I got a director. Well, th- yeah. I got a director in my ear like, go, 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 Monica. But I can't because I'm trying to be respectful to the driver right. and to their PR person either either telling me, hold, hold, or Fox is coming in to do their um, <laughs> report. So it's it's we call it our tap dance. But I love it because like I said, live, there's nothing like being live. It is like the biggest high for me. I genuinely love it. So I tap dance. i talk about the car, talk about the driver. I see another driver over there that's free and I zoom that way and grab that driver. <laughs> um, but anyways, going back to your question, I get off tangent a lot. There's that mutual, I love it. I there's love it. That mutual respect there. I mean, like you said, I am not out there to dog these drivers or to tell something nasty about them i am there to show the best person they are to lift them up to show their personality to let them have a chance to talk to the fans because that's what it's and they
1: know that because they have seen you in that role for years now in multiple roles with miss Sprint cup and now on the big screens like that that was my point they know that you're there to help them yeah and that's why they're so welcoming and they invite you in and they you know if you have to interrupt they know that it's not out of you know Evil, right. It's Like, you're I'm not, doing I'm your job.
2: The latest story or anything, yeah,
1: yeah. How I mean, I understand this is a really cliche question. I don't know if it's one you can answer, but when you're doing the tap dance on the gridwalk and you're trying to gauge people's body language, read signs from PR, have literally conversations as you're speaking on the air, yeah. be, how do you do that? <laughs> like, I, I genuinely don't understand how you do that because, in the limited experiences that I've had on radio or on air. I can barely think straight myself, moreover, have the producer in my one ear, and you're trying to have 20 different conversations at once. I mean, is it just practice? Is it simple as that?
2: Well, yeah, that too, and I think just knowledge is power. So if I genuinely take the time to learn more things about these people, not, of course, the stats, yes, that comes with studying before the race, but just following them on Instagram and Twitter, maybe learning some tidbit lifestyle things that they've done that week leading up mm-hmm. to the race or they've done a few days, you know, I, I stick it in here. So if I need a nugget, if I'm stuck tap dancing, I can say, oh, I noticed Brad Keselowski, you know, went on a horse this week with his family. You know, I have something else to talk about to right. give me some time, 10 to 15 seconds to keep reading sure. body language, to sneak in there. So yeah. that's kind of what
1: I do. It's not easy. And you make it look so easy. <laughs> Seriously. Like it's, it's so hard. And I was talking to Jesse punch about it. Cause she's been working with you obviously yeah. the last, last few weeks and and I, back to last year as well. But I mean, like, I don't know how she does it either. And you have experience on her, but you both just make it look like so effortless. I'd be freaking out, sweating more than you do <laughs> in your fire suit on a hot day. And you guys just make it so seamless while there's well, all this stuff going on. So you should Jessie's be commended awesome. for that.
2: Thank you. And Jessie is fantastic. Like she knows her stuff. Um, for me, I keep up with it. But I also have kids and a husband and a house to keep up with. You know, I, I make sure I know what's happening. But mm-hmm. Jessie's on it every day. Because, you know, I have my, my one day, my, my Wednesday, that I really do a lot of studying before that race or that Thursday. But Jessie's on it every single day. You know, she is doing (laughs) something every single day where she is studying and she knows what's happening in the sport. So she can rattle off stats like that. She she's awesome.
1: So you stare. So you're doing that now. You're you're on the big screen. You're still at the track almost every single week. It feels like also, by the way, you do some modeling, some acting, some V.O.'s, commercials, stuff like that. You're a contributor to WCCB on TV. We talk about balancing stuff during the tap dance and the grid walk. How do you balance life? Because you're doing so much.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of logistics. You know, I have a village that takes – well, my main concern is always, are my kids okay? You know, because I used to be, and I, and I still kind of am now. Like, I'm a yes girl. I say yes to every job. I've worked for free a lot in the beginning. Um, yeah. It's very hard for me to say no. So as long as I have – logistically have a babysitter for my kids – um and of course i have make sure i spend time with with them because they need that um i I just enjoy doing it all i just make make it i try to make it all work somehow
1: yeah you mentioned your wife and a mama of two reading straight from your instagram bio (laughs) obviously um going back like 10 years to 2012 or maybe even 12 when you were in the height of the miss sprint cup era i mean how much has your life changed in the last 10 to 12 years you've gotten married you've had kids you're still in the sport but again you've reinvented yourself but it feels like at the core you're the same you know charismatic fun energetic person but around you it seems like your life has really really changed for the better
2: oh it has i mean just having children has changed my life tenfold um and i remember like the first year i had my son because i used to you know, and I still do, of course, like we were talking about, I study so hard, but I used to make sure, okay, do I have, do I know all the stats before I go into this interview? And let me just write down everything. And once I had my first kid, it was like, Monica, not, you don't have to have everything right all the time, you know? (laughs) And I remember, and I think just having a kid has really chilled me out a lot as well. um, And just made me more relaxed going into interviews because to me, their most important in life, you know, it used to be like NASCAR, 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 work, 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 work. And it was, I, I you know, of course my, my husband is very important too. <laughs> I don't want to forget him, but just having, he's in a, the other
1: room. Like, yeah, thank yeah. you. Finally.
2: Thanks, honey. Um, but just having <laughs> children has changed my life completely. Definitely. I mean, don't sweat the small stuff. Let things go. Um, I feel like they've chilled me out a lot. So they, they yeah. that's probably been the biggest change is having children.
1: Yeah. Um, how many weeks are you on the road nowadays this year?
2: Um, so the funny thing about me is, so I'm a freelancer, so I don't right. even know really my year, even this year. A lot of things have changed due to COVID. So before COVID, maybe that December, I would get a list of tracks who w- wanted me to do the big screen. Well, now it's like, hey, in three weeks or in two weeks, are you free to do Richmond? Okay, I feel I'll
1: that.
0: <laughs>
2: put me there. Put me down. You know, I think tracks are still figuring out budget and that sort of thing yeah. due to the pandemic. Um, but generally on average, what there's 36 races, I do anywhere between eighteen to twenty two, somewhere in that range. Man. So just when, know- you were,
1: when you were when you're in Miss Sprint Cup, were you going all thirty six?
2: Um, I don't think so but pretty close they they would give us some weeks off yeah yeah and there was a time so, where we would like every other but then but I don't know because I remember there were times where I would have like five or six in a row and I was, for, yeah. I was
1: ready
2: for a little break
1: so life on the road right anybody that has been in this sport worked in the sport they know that it is it's it's glamorous for sure like nobody's going to complain about jet setting off to these cool places and getting to chill in LA one week, going down to Daytona beach the next, like it's awesome. Right. You were just in Phoenix. I I saw you were chilling at your friend's pool all week. Like it's awesome, (laughs) but it, it it is a grind and it is still tough. I mean, we're just joking about your red eye before, like you're still a person and you still need to function and be a mom and a wife and, Mm -hmm. and do all these things to prepare for the next race. And you can't do that on no sleep. And you can't do that yeah. jumping from time zone to time zone, living on a plane for half your week. How how do you just balance and manage the grueling travel schedule and the grind that is being a part of the sport?
2: Uh, Cause I'm just reminded about how cool of a job I have, to be honest. You know, if my job is awesome and I love it and it's a, it allows me a great balance with my family. Um, so I'm very appreciative. So those, I've even had to wake up, I think, when we come back from California, I had to wake up at, or Daytona, anyways, one of those at 3 or 3.30 to catch a 5 a.m. See, the same thing, out.
1: like you lose track of where you go, when you're there, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, and you're thinking, "Geez, I am too old to be getting up at, at 3 a.m., I don't have babies anymore, <laughs> to catch a flight, but it's so <sighs> it's so worth it at the end of the day, you know, and you just make up for it during the week. I think I went to bed at like 9 o'clock last night, so. Oh, jealous. um. But yeah, my coworkers and I, we always joke around too. Like, it's not as glamorous as everybody thinks it is. Yeah. Um, it is grueling. Traveling is hard on your body. Um, staying in different hotels and living out of a suitcase, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it is is hard. But there's so, the reward is so much better.
1: Have you ever woken up in a hotel room and forgot where you were?
2: Oh, yeah. I've even gone <laughs> to the airport. And this is when I used to check a bag in the beginning. Because Miss Sprint Cup, we had to travel with our fire suits. Now I just carry on a bag um but I had to check a bag so I had to check in and I remember going up to the kiosk and I had no clue where I was going so what 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 city do I need to punch in where am I where am I going this weekend and I had to go through (laughs) my email real quick oh my god okay I'm going to Pocono this okay (laughs) okay so yeah I have forgotten where I'm going one weekend
1: I feel like that's the sign that you're on the road a little too much but again (laughs) it's worth it
2: it is the reward is so much greater for sure
1: yeah all right a couple fun things to get you out on i I appreciate your time so much this has been great uh straight from your instagram bio again you're a pizza fanatic so what's your favorite type of pizza
2: yes i'm italian so well that's the thing i love every kind of pizza i could eat pizza every single day um, and I know I'm going to get a lot of hatred for this, but I don't like pizza with pineapple on it. That's the only thing.
1: I think that's the popular opinion. I don't mind it, really? but I'm not like a uh, dying on the hill. I, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. I enjoy it. But if you don't have it on yeah. there and you don't want it on there, I'm not going to go crazy.
2: Yeah, My husband loves it, but I, I can do every pizza. I, okay, you asked me my favorite. So when we would go to Chicago for the races, mm. I always had to go. And I forget the name of this place. But this Lou deep. Blue Ah, Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, I
1: think Giordanos. Oh so.
2: yes, yes, yeah. The second one you just said.
1: Giordano's? Yes.
2: And they had yeah, yeah. this deep dish pizza that was to die for. That's probably oh. my hands down favorite pizza.
1: All right, I'm hungry, so we gotta move on. You're also <laughs> a fashion lover. Uh do you ever are you ever able to like wear all these like really cool, exotic, funs type stuff in any of the modeling that you guys do?
2: Uh sometimes. Sometimes when I'm able to get a little jazzy jazz, but no, I think just being <laughs> Being a girl, I just kind of enjoy, you know, I enjoy fashion and what's the latest out there. Um, You know, can't get too crazy at the racetrack because like I mentioned before, we're sweaty and and you're at a racetrack, so I'm not the one to dress all fancy really. (laughs) At a racetrack, I like to be comfortable for sure, but no, I do. I like fashion.
1: Also a red wine connoisseur, I hear.
2: Yeah, I like to sip on it every now and again. I'm trying to get out to the Sonoma race, so if you hear me. I would Mm. do whatever to get out there. If you need a DJ, if you need anybody to pump up up the crowd, I'm there.
1: Well, I mean, if you're a red wine connoisseur, you want to go to Sonoma, you better be sober for the race.
2: Right. It's kind of like, but I don't know. (laughs) I don't think anybody will be sober in Sonoma, to be honest. No one will
1: blame you. Yeah.
2: (laughs) It's red wine and racing, my two favorite things. Let's go.
1: Right. Uh, Speaking of just wine and victory lane and stuff, there had to be some times uh, as Miss Sprint Cup where you were just absolutely drenched. Like oh, yeah. not even funny at that point. It, it's one thing to just get sprayed, but I'm sure that some of the team guys give you an extra champagne bottle oh, and just douse yeah. you in it.
2: If you look through some old photos, they would get us good, and the champagne burned your eyes. That's why you I know, know.
1: I always remember, like seeing you after you're like standing oh, behind them. You're just like, oh
2: god, oh, this is awful. Like, yeah, I can't see, I can't <laughs> see. Um, yeah. That's why you know Brad Keselowski. You see him or some guys with the goggles on. Yeah, uh, it really Smart. burns. <clears throat> but um, yeah, I think who was it? Was it Cole Custer or somebody who, uh, or Sheldon Creed when he won recently was like, Oh, that's burning my eyes. Um, (laughs) but no, there were times too, where we would have to, uh, catch a flight right after a race and we wouldn't have to, there was no, where are we going to shower at the racetrack? So we would literally (laughs) run to the airport, change clothing, you know, you would have it in your hair and it's like, it's like hairspray. Your hair is stiff as a board and you smell like alcohol. I know the person beside us thought we were wasted.
1: Um, <laughs> At least now what it seems like. I promise, I'm working.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's hard to explain. Like, I just got sprayed down with champagne for work. Never mind. Just never mind. <laughs> <laughs>
1: just, just deal with it for the flight. It's fine. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So. Uh, you want to own a pug farm?
2: So I enjoy dogs. Um, I used to have two pugs. They they passed away of old age. But I just there is something about pugs and their face. And they snort, and they're quirky, and they <laughs> snore at night. And I just, there's something about. It. I mean, I could have a hundred of them and be the happiest woman ever.
1: Just like your husband, right? Cute, quirky, and snores at night.
2: <laughs> perfect. Yeah, <hands-tork. laughs> you just, you just nailed him on the head. Oh,
1: that's great. That's great, Monica. This has been such a thrill for me. Seriously, I've, um, it's been an honor to chat with you and, um, to be able to have a little bit of a relationship with you as well on, on the professional side. Like I said, not to age you, but. When I was a kid growing up, like I remember seeing you at the track and seeing you on TV and stuff I love it. and you're still doing an incredible job. You're one of the, you're one of the best. You're one of the most oh. charismatic, awesome people. And all the people that I talked to with my extensive research <laughs> also said the same thing. So oh, thank, thank you, you so much for the time. It's been awesome. One of my favorite chats so far. I wow. so appreciate your time.
2: Thank you. You have been fantastic and just getting to know you and your charismatic self and great personality over the years. I've just enjoyed it. And I hope to see more of you involved in in NASCAR. You're doing a great job.
1: Thank you. You and me both. Hope Maybe I can work on the big stream with you one day.
2: That would be fun. We got to get on that.
1: It's on my bucket list. Let's make it happen.
2: Let's do it, Davey.
1: And we're back. What a story. What a gal she is. I told you. She's one of a kind, she's amazing, spectacular. I cannot say enough good things about Monica and I'm so, so thankful and grateful for her that she gave me so much of her time because she's busy, as she said, she's got kids to deal with, the husband, all these different jobs that she's running around doing, but I'm so glad that she carved out a little bit of time for me and for you guys to listen to her and learn a little bit more about her story. So thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart, Monica, and I meant what I said, Maybe one day I can work that big screen with you. Who knows? Dream big, right? I'm dreaming big. Got to chat a little bit about Phoenix Raceway this past weekend. Chase Briscoe. Congrats, my friend. Former guest on Victory Lane, by the way. I think he was maybe a single-digit guest, which is probably like, I don't know, three years ago at this point. He was on. I remember he revealed that his nickname was the Scandinavian Flick. If you don't know why, go back and listen to it. I actually need to go back and listen to it because I may or may not have forgotten. He gets the win at Phoenix, holds off Ross Chastain and Tyler Reddick to do so in the closing stages. He absolutely nailed that last restart, and he nailed it all day long. Led over 100 laps, was one of, if not the best cars there on Sunday. He did not luck into this one. It was not a fluke by any means. He went out there, and he took it. He earned it for sure so congratulations to Chase Briscoe it's weird to say but Eric Amarola and Chase Briscoe have won races more recently than Kevin Harvick has at Stuart Haas Racing and in general so sip on that one for a little bit it's weird to think but at the same time facts are facts you got to face them and we're headed to Atlanta Motor Speedway this weekend the newly reprofiled reconfigured Atlanta Motor Speedway the old surface is no more The new surface with the higher banking, reconfiguration is here. How is it going to be? I don't know. Is it going to race exclusively like a super speedway? Is it going to have some mile and a half characteristics? Are we going to see drafting? Is everybody going to be wide open the entire time? Is the track going to be too narrow to run two and three wide, coming off those corners, merging onto the straightaways? I don't know. And the drivers don't either because all that we've seen so far is just data from a couple Goodyear tire tests. We don't know how the cars are going to perform at speed together in a pack in race conditions. So I'm as in the dark as everybody else when it comes to Atlanta Motor Speedway this weekend. But the good news is we will find out together how this race will play out. Catch all the action this weekend on the Fox Family Networks for the Xfinity Truck and Cup Series races from Georgia. And that'll wrap things up, party people, for episode 140 of Victory Lane 2.0. I so appreciate you guys for taking time to listen. And again, thank you to Monica Palumbo for carving out some time as well. If you guys like what you heard, please do me a favor. Leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast. We're available wherever you get your podcast Apple, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud. We should be available wherever. And if we're not, drop me a line and I'll try to rectify that issue for you. Until next week, when we will have on another guest from the racing world. I got a couple interviews already in the can, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear them. Enjoy Atlanta this weekend, and I will catch you guys next week on the flip side. Be good.